All right, good. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, again, we're about the 90 seconds to success. And last week, we, I kind of set it up with a couple of different things with, uh, and it's based on the work of Neville Goddard, if you've ever read of any of the work of Mr. Neville Goddard. Uh, and what's kind of interesting about his work is some of the stuff he talked about, uh, some, not all, but some, from what we know now about the how your neurology works, there's some stuff going on in there, right? That uh, just like a lot of our stuff in hypnosis and NLP, I access and cues, the submodalities and all this stuff that for many, many years, those of us started learning this in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. It was, we just talked about it. Now we know it's true with the number one always being mirror neurons and the power of control or uh, mirror matching and all that. And it's based in your brain. You can't stop it, right? And so, but with some of his stuff, and he talked about your, one of his books I highly recommend is Feeling is the Secret and that your, your gut brain, if you will, the way we would, I would describe it, processes by feeling not thought, not pictures even. Everybody wants to talk about pictures. It processes by feeling, right? And so you got to get the feeling of it, right? And so if you want to make a change, how would it feel if you had that change? And we talked last time about, uh, like, let's say if you want a good relationship and you've never had a good relationship, it's kind of hard to get the feeling of what a good relationship is. You can imagine a little bit, so you, you know, so it could be a, it could be a stretch. Maybe that's why you can't get there from where you're at. You know, the old, you can't get there from here, whatever that means, right? Yet you, you know, I'm always thinking about why you see people make those incremental steps in things, whether it's, especially financial. You know, they make a hundred grand a year, then they can make 150, and they can keep going up and up. And then once they get to a certain level, it can go up and up even more, right? Some can make that exponential jump, but some it's more uh, incremental and you get comfortable with it. I use the, my, the guy I knew with the um, pharmaceutical um, company that I worked with. We were trying to open a drug rehab. I thought it was kind of cool. He's a drug pusher as well as wanting to get into drug treatment. Uh, you know, because we drive around, that's what we say people. They go, what do, what do you guys do? We're drug pushers, right? Because he had a pharmaceutical and he drove a Ferrari, lived in Miami. So it looked far. But anyway, but he talked about, uh, I talked to him once, you know, is, is yeah, I saw his company go up in sales as I was there, right? He made some changes. And and he said, you know, once he made 100,000 profit in a year, then he made a quarter mil then it just kept going up, right? And then finally, toward the end, when uh, right before I left, they were starting to get million dollar months, million dollar months, right? And and he talked about how he couldn't imagine that even three years before it, you know. And of course, he did everything right to get there, you know. And he was doing some brilliant stuff. I do give him credit for that. He's a very good motivator for his sales team, 
right? And he mostly sold to veterans, hospitals, and uh, uh, nursing. He sold like hard to find pharmaceuticals, right? And so it was kind of interesting, but it was that idea of incremental, you know? So maybe that's also why, as we talked last time, why you see people win the lotto or get a huge contract out of nowhere. And then six months, six years later, they're not, they're broke, they're destitute. They're back in a trailer down by the river, you know? Uh, yeah, and it, it, because that kind of money, we could, you know, talk about it all day long, uh, that it's A, it's not real to you, it's this and that. And I think it was uh, Michelle's wonderful uh, uh, socialist state of Pennsylvania, <laughs> no, the state of, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Very common. For a while, they had, if you won the lotto, they couldn't make you, but they strongly suggested, they had a couple, they had two guys that I know of that were psychologists that would counsel you on your, your wealthy now, especially if it was like, you know, 10, 20, 30 million, because of how many times we see people win 10 million, 20 million, and literally, then that's not exaggeration, five years later, they're so much in debt, they'll never get out, right? Uh, so they didn't make you go, go, go to this guy, but it was highly suggested, right? And he would just talk about that, you know? And when they, the psychologist, uh, he wrote a little thing and he said, what he, when they asked him to do it, first thing he did is he went and started talking to people that had won the lotto. And three years later, he goes, there was one guy who won two and a half million after taxes. Three years later, he's worth eight, right? He, he invested it. And guess what? He was already a small business owner. He understood money and, and this and that. And the other thing that he did, and I guess he tracked several auto winners, that a lot of them took a few months and did nothing with the money. They didn't go batshit crazy out of the gate, right? And then, and, and he said a lot of them said after about six months, the money was real to them. It wasn't real before. It's a, as much as we act like we could wrap our heads around having 20 million in the bank, could you really? wrap your head around, you know, in one way, yes, I could, but it's a big amount. It's this, it's that, you know, or would you treat it as your money? Is it real? Especially if it comes in a, in a windfall or a lump sum, you start feeling guilty. You want to give it away. Plus everybody in there that's ever had contact with you is suddenly calling you with a great business idea, you know? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, it was just kind of cool. But one of the things he told the people was uh, to take several months and disappear. You know, you always wanted to go on a cruise? We'll book it right now while you're in my office. You leave here, you go there and you, and you go on the cruise, right? You always wanted to get a motor home and travel the country? Well, let's go get the motor home today, get in the motor home and travel the country. You know, what about my one like big lottos, right? What about my house? Hire somebody to go lock it up. And I remember him saying once and he got in trouble with some of the educators. What about the kids? They're in school. You're super wealthy now. The rules of education do not apply to you. Right? Let's just go on the road for six months. Get out of Dodge. Because he, he would tell the people, then the money became real. Then when your cousin Joe shows up with an idea... You're like, screw you, you know, as opposed to, you know, the people that give all their money away. 
But anyway, he talks about making it real. This is a kind of a big, actually there was no deep metaphor there. I was rambling, but I'll act like it was a deep metaphor. But it was about once it feels real, it becomes normal, you know? And when we did that success strategy thing or whatever it was, inner success, whatever the one about think like royalty, maybe that's why sons and daughters of super wealthy people are much more likely to become super wealthy on their own right. You know, yeah, they may get a little boost here and there, but it's just, you know, it seems normal, you know, and, and how to act and how to do those things once they start making the money, you know, and they, and, and, you know, if you're a sports fan, they always point to like uh, the Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, when they got in the league, people go, it's hard to believe they were rookies. Well, shit, their dad played for 15 years. You know, they, you see, you see them as little kids in, in the New Orleans Saints camp because their dad was the quarterback of the Saints. And then he went in a couple other places. But so they grew up with that was normal to them. And same now with like Patrick Mahomes and how many times, you don't have to be a sports fan, but it's true. How many of the guys that play in the NFL, when you track back, their dads were coaches even in high school, you know, or, or other athletes, you know, Patrick Mahomes, dad played pro baseball. And he talks about growing up with all the pro athletes that were running around and this, and that's, you know, so it's that idea. So how can we help ourselves feel what we're trying to accomplish if you want to get this success, right? And so what's, what can you do with it? I guess, you know, I talked last time about, you know, think about the most money you've ever made and step into that feeling. And then could you imagine just 10% more, right? Could you imagine just 10% more? Right. And, and then you could step into that feeling, right? <clears throat> Maybe then we can inc incremental selves up. And the other heart, uh, the other thing Neville Goddard kind of started to point out <clears throat> and our dear friend, Tony Robbins calls it something else, but it's let go of the tyranny of how, you know, if you want to get to point B, especially in certain things, uh, sometimes you, if you, especially if you're going to use this kind of stuff, you step into it, you see it, you feel it, you make it real, and then you can, you don't have to worry about how you got there, right? right? Um, because if you worry about how you get there, you're limiting all the other ways you could get there. You know, all the people, you know, if you think the only way you'll get rich is, uh, I see this on the internet with some of our friends in our field, you know, the only way to really get rich is live like you're poor. You know, you know, like, and they'll usually use like, um, what's his name, uh, Warren Buffett, because he still lives in the same house. He doesn't, you know, but he also has seven private jets, <laughs> you know, and other things, right? But anyway, uh, and it's it sounds good. You got to really struggle and save every dime. But I bet you everybody on this call knows some friends that worked really hard, had a great career, got retired, and died in six months, <clears throat> right? Oh, well, so much for that plan, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, or, yeah, it, 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 it's just, um, and again, too, if the, the people, when they say that, the only way to get rich is to live like you're poor, have obviously never drove around really rich neighborhoods, <laughs> right? Do you, do you, you know, if you go to that Miracle Mile in Deerfield Beach, Florida, 
The average house is 17.8 million. Is I don't that think private these island? No, it's just going down a A1A in Deerfield Beach, Florida. All these houses are built, you know, and it's like, they're not living like they're poor. Mm -hmm. You know, and people that know there, and some of them are leveraged to the hill, but they're living life. You know, they're, they're, they're enjoying it, right? Um, so it, you know, but it, it's about that, you know, uh, uh, and what Neville Goddard ties it in with is uh, a Bible quote, and I'm going to slaughter it, so bear with me, <laughs> right? But, you know, you don't add to the word of, of the Lord nor take from it. And he breaks it down and people, whatever, however people interpret it, but he interprets when you, he, he talks about your desires are God's, God's will for you, your, de, your desires, the natural desires that you have to want. And whatever it is, if you, if you want it, that's, that's your desire. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Because the other quote, I know Shakespeare more than the Bible, but there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Right. So if you take that away, so it's your desire. Right. But if you so let's say whatever your desire is, if you add to the way he interprets it, you add to the word of God. So you have your desire like to get rich. And his interpretation adding to says it has to happen this way. It has to happen this way. So you're adding to you're saying this house that it has to happen. Right. And then on the flip side, he says taking away from the word means you're going to settle for less. I really want a new Corvette, but I'll take a Mazda Miata because it's a nice car. Well, you just, you've taken away. You've disregarded your true, your true desire, right? And so Neville Goddard's work is kind of interesting, the way he breaks everything down and looks at it, right? So what is your desire, you know, for your 60, 90 seconds of success? What's your desire, right? Can you get in there and feel like you have it or close to it? Close to it. Um, and so then you can, you can just step into it and imagine it and let go of how it's going to happen, right? And maybe it could be a windfall. Maybe it could be right place, right time, you know? Somebody really wants a good relationship and they're open to it. Suddenly, the, you know, something weird happens. I still remember a person talked about that. And if it's, if it's true, it's a great story. If it's not true, it's still a good story, you know. Uh, but they usually went, they were, had been through a bad breakup, da-da-da-da-da. And... Um, and finally was ready to start dating. So they did these kind of like meditation. They knew what they wanted. They, they'd had a little bit of it. They would imagine it. And then they were op open to how, right? Because then everybody starts giving you advice. Get on this dating app, start doing this, start doing that. And he said, nope, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to keep visualizing what I want and see what happens. And one day he was going to get his usual cup of coffee in the morning. And that, whether it was Dunkin' or uh, Starbucks, I don't remember, but the, that one was closed, you know? So he knew where another one was, not depending where you're at, there's a Starbucks on every other corner in case you run out of coffee crossing the street, right? Uh, <laughs> so he went to another Starbucks and ran into someone as they're both waiting in line. 
you know, like, cause it was really crowded cause the other Starbucks had, I guess a water main had broke. And so they're standing there and they started complaining about it and they started carrying on a conversation. And, you know, then from there on out, it acted like a Hallmark movie, right? So it ended up a happy ending, but it's like they wouldn't have been there if, you know, he wouldn't have been there if all those weird factors hadn't happened, you know? And also too, if he'd have been playing on certain dating apps, he might not have ever really chatted up this woman. Because how many times you're standing in line, you see people, you know, they're never where they're at, right? You know. So anyway, so that's so we want to do that visualization where you step in there and just see the end result. And can you feel it? Not just see it, can you feel it? Can you feel it? You know? Um, and do and we talked last week about, you know, just run a like a new behavior generator where you run a little bit of your day every day. So you're getting up in the morning and you're getting ready to start. What are some of the things you know is going to happen, right? Even when you're first waking up, you know, depending on what your day is, you probably know, okay, I know I'm going to stagger down the hallway, get a cup of coffee. I'm going to sit in my little, looks like it's actually a little kid's chair. It's a little kid's chair to, to bend my knees better, right? And I sit there and drink my coffee in the morning. Yeah, I know that's going to happen. I know I'm going to feed the dogs and and or go take care of the horses. So you can put all that. Those are true. Your brain knows those are true. I can run that vision in my mind. And then I'm trying to remember to throw in a couple of things I want to have happen without not knowing how. I'm going to get an email from someone that wants to buy something or someone that wants to sign sign up or something. You know, because every once in a while, I'll get an email. Hey, somebody, in fact, you know, in our little uh, NLP basic class, two or three of the people there, I don't know how they, well, I do know, but it was like they just emailed out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're doing this class. Do we, can I take it? Da, 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 you know, and I'm like, really? You know, and that was the class I was going to cancel because I didn't know if I had enough people. So it were, you know, it's like, but I kept visualizing, it's going to be fine. Cause I know, I know the feeling of there's not any, you know, there's only three people in the class. And then the day the class starts, I got 12. That I can't count how many times that kind of stuff has happened, you know? Yeah. And I can begin to, if I want to make bigger classes, I guess I should start visualizing. I know what it's like to have What's the biggest, well, the biggest NLP class I ever taught was 200. That was in India. Right? Wow. Um, but around here, it was in the 40s, in the 40s in the States. Good. Lot, it, lot, the first few years of the Guild, I had good-sized classes. Right? I think the one Billy sat through had 20-something, if I remember right. Right? With my daughter and Billy were in that class, right? And so was, that was, uh, probably, uh, probably 30. Yeah, yeah. So I know, and I can handle that. That's comfortable. I don't freak out, you know. Uh, in fact, up to 40, I don't even need a co-trainer, right? Right. After 40, I could use a co-trainer or two. But um, so anyway, I could feel that, right? So sit in there and feel that. So anyway, so, but, and last week we talked about how many people here have done it this week. That was our assignment was to do that little new behavior generator every day. 
Did you do it most days? I go for the 80 20 rule. If I can do it 80% of the time, you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm good, right? Yeah. Like eating healthy. I can eat healthy 80% of the time, right? I'm eating that. healthier now because in five weeks, I'm stepping on a, on a, uh, on that set right? and I'm filming for six days. So, and the camera adds weight, right? <sighs> they say. The camera, can I ask it? a question about that? What? About eat, uh, how do you not sabotage yourself? I will have a specific goal and I know that this is happening. Even, you know, I do this and I can't, I can't get out of my way with the sabotage. Well, well, what's working? It's a good question. Right. Well, I've got a motivator now. I picture being on set with my shirt off. I don't know if I've got a shirt. I don't the way it's written, but. There may be a scene where my shirt's off and I'm covered in blood. God, I hope so. That is such a <laughs> right? I'm playing a bad guy. But it's like, okay, and that's forever. Once I make that movie, that's for, you know, you're in a play. You're in a bad play. It's only till it closes. You're in a bad movie. It's forever. <laughs> that's a good motivator. Yes. Yes. That's and then I used to work when I did plays too. I'm like, damn it. I got this thing coming up. I'm going to be on stage, you know, and, and I would just, that would be my biggest motivator. We'll talk about that. That'll be, we'll talk sabotage next Wednesday, the 20th. All right. Stopping self-sabotage. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if there's, hopefully this isn't the Russian coming in. Um, Those I'll keep an eye out. Okay. Uh, who just came in? Anat? Can you turn on your camera? Okay. <laughs> All right. Hi, Anat. There we go. Who's there? I, I'll, I'll just turn on my video in a uh, time okay. of 20 seconds. Okay, just making sure we've had some challenges lately. Yep. Yeah. All right, cool. So anyway, so that is what we kind of started thinking about this and just do it. And I think one of the problems that, I, that I've experienced over and over again from dealing with thousands of clients is overcomplicating it. Turning a short, you know, it's like the original thing about the 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 six uh, the gratitude experiment was write down three to five things you're grateful for, and then people turn it into they're going to write six books every day, you know, every <laughs> twenty minutes they're doing a gratitude experiment. Yeah, it's like come on, make it simple, make it fast. Um, so that's what we're, you know, that's one thing. Keep it short, keep it fast, and and don't beat yourself up when some days are harder than others. You know, it's like, it's just you know, like sitting there, even doing the new behavior generator, or trying to think about it or a visualization, whatever you want to call it, right? Some days it's, it's easy. Other days it's like, Can't you, know, get back. Mm. you know, but like uh, we did talk about last week and keep stressing is 
still you got to do the reps. You got to do the reps. You got to get in there and practice. You don't, you got to do the reps. You got to run the exercises. And if you do that, it builds on itself. It gets easier and easier. And so then the last thing I want to talk about is building out what um, uh, we talked a little bit about it, which was the uh, see yourself from the goal. Excuse me, my mind went blank. Where Neville Goddard's uh, famous exercise of see yourself from the end, from the goal, right? Where you jump into the end and look back on where you're at now. And the way he would, it's, it's, I forget which book it's in, but he would talk about um, as you start your meditation, right? As you start your meditation, you, you basically take an inventory of where you're at. So you know what it's like. This is real. I can say I'm sitting here. There's my computer. There's another computer right over there. Um, you know, the, the wall behind me, all this is real, right? So then I can close my eyes and begin to go into that meditative state, knowing what's real right now. Great. And then just jump to the, to the end result. In his case, he talked about being on a, that ship going down to, to, to the Bahamas from New York. And he knew what it was like to be on a ship. He traveled a lot, right? From Europe to here and down. Back, back then, it was probably the 1920s, the teens. That's the only way to get around, right? So he knew what it was like to be on ship. He could imagine it, and, and he, that could be real to him. And so he's sitting on the ship knowing he's going to, I think he was going back to the Bahamas. And then as he's sitting there really enjoying it, he could imagine back and see himself being in the living room, looking at himself on the ship. Hmm. Right? So he created a like a, I don't know, cybernetic loop, mental loop, where he's in his living room, then, then he's on the ship. And he would skip over how he got to the ship, buying the ticket because they were sold out. I guess it was the holiday season, all this other stuff. And, you know, and he didn't have the money was the biggest thing. He just didn't have the money. And so, you know, but he went back and forth. And so he jumped to the end and then looked back at himself sitting there. And he did that a couple of times. And he would do that a couple of times a week. Right. And supposedly in the, in the book he talks about and in the, the, I was listening to one of his talks. It only took about two weeks. Um, a cousin or something like that, somebody he knew or somebody who knew somebody that was, was heading down back to the Bahamas because, you know, and they couldn't make the trip. Just couldn't make the trip. And they had a ticket. And this is before you couldn't transfer tickets easily, I guess, right? So it's like, you want to go? I can't go. If not, the ticket will just go to waste. And suppose it was one with a nice, nice board, not boardroom, but a nice uh, little stateroom. It was a good, you know, not not the cheap seats. It was a good, good, good one. And so then, you know, and so that's that's what he would practice. Would go from where you are right now to where you want to be, and just bounce back and forth, letting go of the tyranny of how. You know, he didn't have to do an extra talk to make the extra money to find. Uh, to find the money to get the ticket, if you could even get the ticket, right? And again, how many times in your life has shit like that happened to you? Or my yeah. wife yells at me. Has events like that happened to you? You know, it's just like, 
you were talking to somebody who, and the next thing you know, you've got something you are working toward, right? And I can say, I know I wanted to teach at the, do the NLP training at the National Guild. And I'd given a couple of one hour talks and things like that. And back when I got started doing this in the late 80s uh, with the National Guild, they were not friendly to the NLP groups, right? They didn't, they, there was the two camps. There was the NLP group and then there was the hypnosis group. They didn't like each other. Now they've kind of merged, right? But, you know, so it was like, eh, it's kind of interesting. It was kind of, and part of that was a lot of the NLP people back in the day, mid 80s, early 80s, were arrogant. You know, they just, they would, it was part of it was a marketing ploy. You don't want to take hypnosis, you want to take NLP. Hypnosis is bullshit. It's just they tell people close their eyes and do this weird stuff. That, that You want to learn NLP. So it was a little bit of a marketing. It's kind of fun. And so then the hypnotists, some of the old hypnotists, didn't like NLP. And, and uh, Billy's been around long enough to remember that, like uh, Orman McGill. No, Orman was friendly. Um, Gil Boyne, Jerry Kind, they weren't real friendly to NLP. And part of that was the NLP people at the beginning were kind of causing this, right? So anyway, I started hanging around the guild. I liked it better there. It was more fun. It was a bigger group. Uh, and the only time, the only reason I went to the National Guild, I wanted to start doing trainings. I didn't know how. And this is the, my real life experience. I didn't know how, right? Because it was a pretty closed group with the Bandler group, which is the one I was in, involved in, Bandler and uh, uh, Stephen, Connie, Ray, Andreas. And I'd had some personality clashes with them. Like you guys can't imagine that. And uh, it mainly had to do with addictions, by the way. But because they were teaching a temperate drinking strategy, which drove me batshit crazy. And but that's a talk for another day. So anyway, so I'm like, how am I going to do this? Right. And, and NLP was kind of oversaturated to the, to certain subgroups. And back then you had to do, uh, there was no internet, so you couldn't do that. You were, you would get talks at like uh, learning annex. Anybody here old enough to remember the learning annex where you talked at learning annexes. And so I was, I was getting ready to do that. And I'm like, ah, I just really want to do it, but I don't know how. So I go to the National Guild of Hypnotist Convention. The only reason I went, the only reason was to do a firewalk. George Bien was doing a firewalk at the National Guild, right? And it was like, I don't know, 75 bucks. And I just missed doing the Tony Robbins one. I was going to do the Tony Robbins in Chicago. And I, for some reason, I had to miss it. So I, I wasn't there. I just wanted to do the firewalk, right? <laughs> And one reason I wanted to do the firewalk is the NLP community made fun of the firewalk. They're like, well, that's not that impressive. You know, that it was, they didn't like that Tony Robbins was getting 3000 people in a stadium and you could get 40 or 50 people in an NLP course. Right. So, but I'm like, I just want to do the firewalk. I just want to, I just want to do it. Right. And I missed the one in Chicago. That's where I was living at the time. And so I get the, the thing about the National Guild of Hypnotists doing a firewalk as a pre-conference. It was Thursday night and it was like 75 bucks. I'm shit. I'll go. I'll go. I didn't really go to go to the conference. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go do the firewalk. And when I called the register, Melody was, was obviously alive then. And she's like, well, if you're coming for that, you might as well stay for the conference, you know? And I'm like, okay. So I stayed for the conference. Right. And, and it was a lot of fun. My wife tell you, I was all excited. I, I, I was having a blast. 
did the fire walk, met George Vienne, thought it was shits and giggles. I, I had a great time, right? I met Elsom. I met I met some people because I figured I'll just walk up and say hi. Um, but I didn't think anything of it. And uh, But I Elsom asked me how long I've been a hypnotist. And I said, well, I've been doing this stuff for quite a while, but mainly I do NLP. And he goes, oh, we're trying to get some people to do NLP stuff here. I said, okay. So I, I wrote his name and I actually called him and um, I did the, um, I did a one or two hour talk at the next conference. And then that winter, right after the guild, there was a big conference in Chicago. Bear with me. This is a long story, but it's getting to a point, right? I'm getting ready to run for Congress. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Uh, cause I want to cower under a desk. Um, tough crowd. I'm here on Friday. Anyway, um, the, uh, so anyway, they had, a, they had the Mid-America Hypnosis Conference and Dwight Damon was keynoting. Dwight Damon was keynoting and George Bien was doing a special talk, right? So I'm like, cool, right? So, but I was going to the Mid-America teaching because it's, it was right by my house. So I'm there and that Saturday night, my wife and I were at the banquet. It's one of the few times she went because it was close, right? And we're sitting there and, um, you know, the dinner happened and, you know, Dwight gave his little talk and, and everything and dancing started and we're just sitting there. And I walk over and said, hi to George. And we start talking. He says, well, pull up a chair. So I spent the next two and a half hours at a table with Dwight Damon and George Bien, who was the main, he was the, he was the Don Martin of the NGH at the time. Right. And so it was, that's how I got to do it. Right. And then Dwight goes, yeah, maybe we'll have you do an NLP course. You know, and, you know, because I tried the year before and they poo-pooed it, you know, then they had a short, I think the year I tried, they decided to do it with another trainer who was from an un, uh, unnamed organization that basically was trying to steal everybody from the guild. So that didn't go well. And Ooh. so anyway, but that that's just, you know, so it could happen. And then there's uh, a lady who does a talk on... Um, the one command, she calls it. I can't think of her name. She calls it the one command. And it's basically kind of what we're talking about. But she has you go into a meditation where you root yourself. And then you imagine going up into space. She likes going into space, right? And breaking the bounds of Earth, which I think is the metaphor. I'm like, okay, cool. So then you're floating around. And you you picture your goal up in, you know, when you're floating around. And you step into it and you feel it, Right? And I forget how she does it in her meditation, but basically it's kind of what we just did where you just look back down on yourself and you let go of how it's going to happen, right? You just let go of, of how. She doesn't quite say it that way, but it, it's a good little, I have her audio, audio book. It's called The One Command. And it's pretty cool, right? And, mm -hmm. and so those, those, so what I'm going to ask you to do uh, our assignment for this week is to to do a meditation where you do the Neville Goddard of from where you are right now to where you want to be, skipping how it's going to happen, but make it when you start your meditation, take inventory of where you're at so you know it's real, you can feel it, and go to your end goal, the thing that you want, and make it as real as possible, and then look back on yourself looking at yourself and you kind of go back and forth a couple of times 
right? And just and let go of how. See what happens. Because maybe okay. that, you know, maybe that's how the magic happens. The magic happens. All right. Does that make well, sense is, to everybody? Yes. Yeah, it's good timing because the lottery <laughs> is larger than it's been in a very long time. Oh, so that's a fun one to play with. Oh yeah, the, the Powerball's huge, right? Yeah, and the other one, what's the other Mega one? Mega Millions. Oh, yeah, Mega Millions. Together they're like worth 1.3 billion. I could do that. I can't, I can't, it's hard to imagine that much money. Not for me, I'm not imagining it, that. but. No, I imagine the money raining down on me. I know yeah. what I can do with it. <laughs> I know what I, I can do with it. You know, well, Elon Musk only worth, uh, I guess he took a dip. It's only $210 billion right now. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. I'd start a few foundations. That's what I would do. I, I would. Billy's laughing. I would. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, there's a good foundation, Caroline, that I'd like to recommend to you. It's called the Michelle Willard Hopper. <laughs> I've got one, Dr. Will wants I got an two daughters ahead of you in line. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be, be third. Like, I'll be third. Yeah. Dr. Will wants an audience. I wouldn't change my lifestyle that much. Yeah. Dr. Will I might add a few animals, but. Yeah. So anyway, that's our assignment for the week. Got it. And next week we'll do something on sabotage. Sabotage, sabotage, sabotage. Cool. All right, right, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.